Good morning. How are you? Well, I really appreciate um, being able to be here today, and I love being on the Board of Trustees. Um, it's fabulous. I've uh, been on it for a couple years, and man, I love coming here every time. It's such a wonderful place to be. And I really just appreciate the worship that we've had today. And I know you guys have been having amazing worship, and, and God's really been manifesting in these services. And I just want to let you know if that starts to get a little old for you, then because we habituate so easily and God is hiding, that means that he wants you to seek him deeper because these services are not meant to be the all and substance of your relationship with the Lord. So if it's getting a little dry, go deep, baby, because it's so good and you don't want to lose it. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about today. <laughs> I was actually going to talk today about autobiographical memory and the difference between autobiographical memory and semantic memory. And semantic memory is your memory of facts and knowledge, and autobiographical memory is your memory of your life. And I was going to talk to you about the difference between those two and how profound it is for anyone who wants to facilitate transformation in another person. Except for a couple weeks ago, God changed it. So I'm not talking to you about that either. But if you want to hear about that, because it's a really good talk and I worked really hard on it, um, I will be talking, I will be presenting at the Education Symposium here at the end of February, beginning of March, and uh, you can come and hear it then. Okay, so what we're going to do today, we're going to go, we're going to make disciples. So go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? This is the Great Commission. And it's a call for us to go make disciples, but how do you make a disciple? In fact, do you even know what a disciple is? You maybe would be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, about how many people don't actually even ask that question. What is a disciple? Let alone, how do you make one? And I think it's a really key question to ask, because it's like saying you want to grow corn, but you don't know anything about the water cycle or soil science. Or it's like saying you want to build bridges, but you've never studied physics or civil engineering. And if we're going to answer the call of Jesus seriously to go and make disciples, these are really important questions to ask. So let's start with what is a disciple. In my paradigm first, a disciple is different than a believer. So for me, uh, just because a person has made Jesus or believes that Jesus is Lord of the universe... It doesn't necessarily mean that he's made them Lord of their life. And so for me, disciple and believer are kind of different. Being, being you know, accepting Jesus into your heart and being disciple to me are, are not necessarily the same thing. But let's look what Jesus said, okay? Let's go what Jesus said. And we'll do it this way. Oh my goodness. This is where the tech goes. My husband's a tech person. And so he's always rolling his eyes at me. Okay. Woo. John 15, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. John 15, 8. When you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. Luke 14, 25, a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned to them and said, he said, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate 
everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. And if you do, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. That one's tough. And then John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So when I read these, Jesus doesn't talk about what you believe or what you think. Instead, Jesus defines disciple as being a person who turns, follows him, learns to love radically like him, remains in the word of God, learning, bearing fruit, and is willing to give up anything and everything to do that. So inherent for me in being a disciple is a willingness to change, a willingness to engage in a relationship with God, with others, with ourselves, in a way that challenges us and causes us to change and grow to be more like Jesus. So how do we... How do you and I make disciples? How does a person learn to be so faithful to the word of God that when the hard things hit, they can stay there, they can remain true? How do we help somebody grow in love until they are radically inclusive and compassionate like Jesus? How do we help a person become so consumed of God that they're willing to give up anything he asks them to? How do we help a person develop the spiritual acumen to yield good fruit? The answer to how you answer these questions in part is your philosophy of discipleship. A philosophy of discipleship is about your own ideas and beliefs about what a disciple is and what a disciple does and how you make one. So when I stated that in my paradigm, a believer and a disciple are different, I'm letting you in a little bit on my philosophy of discipleship. So you might have heard of a philosophy of ministry, and a philosophy of ministry is thinking about what is your role, what is your calling, and how does that fit into an organization? And these are really good, and everyone who serves in ministry of any kind should have one. But a philosophy of discipleship is different. It contains your own ideas about who we're called to be and how we together get each other there. And I believe that every Christian that intends to take the Great Commission seriously should have a philosophy of discipleship. So for my quest, for my own philosophy of discipleship, it led me to study cognitive psychology and neuroscience. And my degree, my grad degree is in mind, brain, and education, or essentially how does a person learn? So what can brain science tell us about discipleship? A lot. And I first became interested in brain science when I worked at that wilderness school for um, like 15 years. And it was called Solid Rock Outdoor Ministries. And it was a ministry out of the local Foursquare Church, and it's the premier Christian wilderness school in the world now. But we took adults and teens backpacking, rock climbing, technical snow mountaineering. And we, I wanted to teach them something once and have them remember it with a high degree of accuracy, like tying into a rope, or how to self-arrest with an ice axe, because their life depended upon it, right? 
their safety for them and their whole team depended upon how well they could remember their technical and safety training. But what was different about Solid Rock is that we taught about Jesus with the same urgency. Because on a one-day course, the stakes are just as high. Eternity is at stake in every person's life, whether that's their salvation or just yielding to the Lord a little more in that place they've been guarding and keeping away from him. See, our sacred task at this ministry was to listen and discern what God was doing in somebody's life, to partner with Holy Spirit in that, and with great intentionality for as long as they were there, whether it was one day or 40 days. See, modern education philosophy holds that I have an idea and I give it to you. I have content, I have information, and I bestow my grand knowledge upon you. Well, there's a problem with that. The problem is that you are not a blank slate. You are not an empty vessel to be filled with my great wisdom of information. You are not a brain in a vacuum. You are a whole person endowed by the, with the image of God that the Holy Spirit is violently and passionately pursuing, who has been at work way longer than the moment I meet you. So instead, my job as a disciple maker is to listen to what Holy Spirit's doing, partner with him, honor his work in your life, and join you for a moment in your sacred journey. By doing this, we acknowledge the Imago Dei in every person, and we honor the work of Holy Spirit in each other's lives. So those are some of the foundational ideas of my philosophy of ministry, the philosophy of discipleship. But let's look and see what else is out there, right? Good research. So let's look at what some of the things I found on the interwebs. So here we have um, discipleship versus mentoring. If you see the primary uh, mode of uh, interchange is content around the disciples' agenda, and that it's about the training, mastering of spiritual disciplines with the point to mature spiritually, here's what you need to know, do, or become. This is not like the best philosophy of discipleship. There's no respect for Holy Spirit in there. There's no respect for the person and their journey. But, but this was one that I found, so I want to show it to you. And I can see by this it was obviously written by somebody with a strong teacher gift of the fivefold ministry. That's okay. I have a strong teacher gift. So here's another one, and this one I can read to you because it's a little small, but this person obviously liked infograph shapes. But there are portals, these not the game, just portals, into Sunday service where you get to go on a second date. Now it doesn't say who you get to go on a second date with, which is kind of awkward for me because I'm already married. But you get to go on a second date where you go to their core membership class. And after that, you get an interview. Ooh. You get to be interviewed at their checkpoint, and if you pass the interview, you can join their groups. So I look at this and I see that it was obviously written by somebody with a strong evangelist gift, which is okay. But this isn't a philosophy of discipleship either. This is a membership process. But let's look at one more, right? Let's, give, let's keep giving people the benefit of the doubt. All right, so here you can see there's social networks, social networks, 
They didn't really actually know what they were. They just knew they existed. Social networks, where you go to your first worship service, then you become a regular attender, then you get to have coffee with the pastor. Now, coffee was highlighted in quite a few of the philosophies of discipleship that I saw. So coffee obviously makes us more like Jesus. And my husband would agree that for me, coffee makes me more like Jesus because I am not all that Christ-like before coffee. (laughs) But we have coffee with the pastor. Then we go to the discipleship class where we can get partnered with a group and become frontline for the kingdom in one of the ministries of the church. Again, this is not really a philosophy of discipleship. This is an HR recruitment strategy. (laughs) We're obviously written by somebody with a strong shepherding gift because they wanted to be included with the coffee, and that's okay. (sighs) These, These are not good philosophies of discipleship, just to be clear. And I didn't put bad ones up there to make a point. I put the best ones I found on the internet to make a point. Let me say that again. These were the best ones I found. And it broke my heart. Obviously, there's a problem where people confuse discipleship in the kingdom with membership in a church or recruitment to service in a ministry. Beloved, this is a place we can do better, where we have to do better. Instead of acting blindly or haphazardly, we can be more aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And articulating a philosophy can help with that. So there's some questions that you can ask, and this is the, like, group participation part of the conversation. All right, so questions. Questions that your philosophy of discipleship would include your answers to are, what are the characteristics of a disciple? What are the actions of a disciple? What is God's role in making a disciple? What is my role in making a disciple? What is a disciple's role? And how are we being made to look more like Jesus in all this? So take just a moment, turn to the person next to you, pick one of those questions, and in two sentences, give your answer to one of those questions. Go. All right, look up here. Look up here. Look at me. These are not all the questions to ask. There are more questions to ask. So you also need to include in your philosophy of discipleship your theory of change. Okay? Theory of change. These are the questions for theory of change. How do people change? Right? That's a good one. What does that look like? What does change look like? How long does change take? What part do I play in facilitating change? And it also needs to include your theory of learning. How do people learn? There's actually science out about that. 
What helps them learn? What hinders their learning? And a paradigm shift only happens in the conscious mind. How do you think that happens? These are questions that make up your philosophy of discipleship. And finally, it needs to include some, you know, identify some methods or practices of discipleship, like curriculum, processes like daily Bible reading. But the key thing about these is that these are the most contextual parts of your philosophy of discipleship, and so they need to be the most adaptable and the most abandonable. Foundationally, a holy fear of the Lord should keep us sober-minded about our universal call of the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Each person in this room is called to go and make disciples. And it doesn't have to be mysterious. It doesn't have to be miraculous. It doesn't have to be like one of those things that you drop in the tub and then like, poof, disciple happens, you know? It, we can do it with great intentionality. In fact, we can do it with the same intentionality as a farmer. Like, Bible talked a lot about growing disciples as growing crops. So let's look at that analogy for a moment. What if we watered our crops once a week for an hour and a half as a farmer? What if we put the fertilizer in the middle of the field and told the plants to go get it when they were hungry? Stepping on somebody's toes, sorry. Actually, I'm not, but it's okay. But how good of a farmer would we be if we didn't even know the nutrients a plants need to grow? And how good of a farmer would we be if we didn't know anything about the role the seasons play? And how good of a farmer would we be if we tried to plant the same kind of seed in every kind of soil? A good farmer knows their soil, knows their plants, knows their craft. See, being a good farmer, a good disciple maker is not hard. It's actually quite easy. It just takes intentionality about the right things at the right time. But let me show you, just to raise your hopes a little bit, what can happen when you're intentional about your philosophy of discipleship. So I worked for over a decade at this uh, Christian Wilderness Program, SROM, stands for Solid Rock Outdoor Ministries, and we required every staff member to have a philosophy of discipleship, and every instructor wrote theirs on their three-week instructor training course. Now, they weren't fancy. They had no academic citations. They were just paragraphs in people's field journals about what they believed. And but each employee was required to have one and understand that their primary job, after like the don't die part of our job, their, their primary job was to make disciples because we wanted to facilitate a divine human encounter. Not the death kind, but like the living kind. And we never told them what to write. Because we served people from all denominations, we hired from all denominations, and the theology of the staff varied greatly. But what we found is that when you ask them to articulate their philosophy of discipleship and to write it down, they became intentional disciple makers. 
They looked for opportunities, and they engaged with them. They looked for teachable moments and discipled in them. They prayed with intent and purpose for their students. And every staff member acted as a good farmer, a good disciple maker. So in my time at the ministry, I oversaw and was accountable for the discipleship of over 4,000 different students and over 100 different staff members. And in that time, we never saw less than 85% transformational rate in the students, even on a one-day course. Some courses, like the 40-day courses, resulted in 100% transformation. So in terms of discipleship, this means that no less than 85% of the thousands of people who came through our program, facilitated by hundreds of staff, no less than 85% of them experienced a revelation in their relationship with God. In our 40-day courses, students experienced change that was so profound I could measure it across the stages of faith development theory. See, the enemy of effectiveness is a lack of intentionality. And my hope and prayer is that we would be a people that take the Great Commission seriously. And I pray that we would understand disciple-making as a farmer understands farming or a civil engineer understands bridges. And my great prayer for you, for me, is that the Lord wouldn't find us just operating in our talent, but also being excellent in our craft. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us, can I pray for us? Jim, would you come up and I'll pray for us. <sighs> Papa, I thank you for this time. I thank you for what an amazing, amazing God you are and how you are intentional from the foundation of the earth. You look at us, you dream about us, you hope for us. Lord God, and your every desire is to see us walk in the fullness of who you've called us to be. Lord, would you birth that desire in us? Would we seek to be like you, intentionally hanging the stars, intentionally forming and crafting disciples in our hearts and our minds and with our lives? Lord God, could we be with you where you are and stand from heaven's perspective and speak hope and life over a generation, helping them to be amazing in who you've called them to be, wherever that takes them, in every vocation, in every sector of society, in every life of a person that we meet. Lord God, would you give us that by your grace and mercy. In your holy name, amen. Amen. amen.